Hey yo, say hello to the back. Scott Hall. Hey, this is Olympic gold medalist Kurt Angle from TNA. Oh, it's real. It's damn real. Hi, this is Booker T, the five-time WCW champion. And you listen to SNS Radio Network. Yo, monkeys, it's me, PPP, the king of Bada Bing, the master of the diamond cutter, the three-time, three-time, three-time world champion. Stay tuned or you will feel bang. Hey, you listen on the SNS Network. And that's the bottom line. The Stone Cold Central. The world is listening. Standing ovation here. Let's go to our ring announcer. Welcome to the show that brings you all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling. It is now time to go. Beyond the Bell. Here you go. You're in constant demand. And I say, honey, because I'm the world's heavyweight champion. Now, for a lot of you people out there, that's a real hard nut to swallow. A lot of you don't like that. You don't like the prestige that I have in life. You don't like the notoriety. You detest the fact that I got more cars than most of you have friends. I got a big house on the big side of town. I got life pretty much the way I want it. You understand that? You know why? Because (laughs) I'm the champ. (laughs) I'm the world's heavyweight wrestling champion. Dale Murphy, right? A local hero out of Georgia. He's a big deal, but he's not the champ. <laughs> you understand that? Huh? Herschel Walker, for all you black folks out there, he's a real big dude, but he's not the champ. <laughs> Ric Flair's the champ. Understand? Me and Lex Luger, you, Ted Turner, Dusty Rhodes, Nikita Koloff, Ricky Martin, Steve Williams, all of you, take a look at it. Learn to love it because it's a role model for you. I'm the champ. <laughs> That's the bottom line in this sport of sports. I'm the champ. Custom made, kiss stealing, wheeling dealing, and Luger. Wherever this match takes place, God only knows, you've got to beat the champ. Ha <laughs> ha! Welcome back, old school wrestling fans, to the Pro Wrestling Nostalgia Podcast known as Beyond the Bell, which is a part of the powerful SNS Radio Network. 
it's time to go old school once again. And I'm your host, your personal ring announcer, Sean Beckerman. Tonight we open up the Horseman Chronicles in celebration of their Hall of Fame induction in 2012, we kicked off the Horseman Chronicles series. The year is 1988, a transitional year for arguably the most illustrious group in professional wrestling history. With 1987 coming to a close, the Horsemen were reaching new heights. As the NWA's cult following looked on, they brought home the world titles in both singles and tag team action. Their only loss was on the head of Lex Luger, who left the group at the tail end of the year and eliminated their weak link. Despite a renewed title race with new participants, the fabulous Freebirds eyeing the tag team titles while Barry Windham was again making a bid for the world championship. The Horsemen took the time to celebrate their winnings. In the vein of the NWO, 10 years later, the Horsemen took over an entire television program and dedicated it to their leader, the world heavyweight champion, Nature Boy Ric Flair. It's like they always say, I suppose, work hard, play even harder. While the champions celebrated like kings, the undercard went on with business as usual, taking part in their scheduled matches as well as could one expect. One such worker was a young man with a distinct look. This man had a certain feel, a different style to his character. His hair, a bleach blonde spike. His face, a painted canvas. And his mat work was risky and unique. Sting was building a respectable fan base, quite a following within his first few years in the business. On this night, the rising star had a thing or two to say about what was going on, and after dispensing of his opponent, grabbed the mic. As the audience grew silent, Sting shocked the world by asking for flair. That very night, before long, J.J. Dillon arrogantly made his way down the entranceway. The rather small entryway, you could say. He attempted to shoo the riled-up youngster from the ring. Shoo-shoo, young buck. With his disdain for Sting being obvious, Dillon told the crowd that tonight was the horseman's night off. And such a wild challenge was far beneath the recognition of the nature boy. He had better things to do. With that, he took a sip of his champagne and splashed the remainder right in the stinger's face. As one can imagine, that wasn't the ideal action he could have chosen, and the stinger immediately delivered his stinger splash and cinched in the scorpion deathlock on the infamous manager. When the troops hit the ring, Sting fled. With his mouth, Sting, hey Sting. Nothing more than the party crasher himself. And I'm ready to crash some more parties. You know, I embarrass Flair like I always say now. And I can't think of a better thing to do right now 
than to party some more. So, Flair, I know you're in the building somewhere, so let me show you what a real party is all about. Oh! Come on, show me. See what you got, Ricky, baby. Get in my face. I guess he doesn't want to come. He's in he's not here, here somewhere. Do you walk around? I guess Rick might. You think maybe he's afraid of you? Oh, I can imagine he's probably doing just a little bit of sweating back there. He'll probably end up. Same old story. Same old. Tired of coming out here. I don't have any champagne in my hand. There's no. You got a problem, pal. And what we have, and this phrase is overused. You've got a failure to understand, my friend, that you don't walk out here in front of the whole world. You keep your mouth shut, punch. You don't walk out here in front of the whole world and for one second try and intimate that you think you're ready for me. I will make that decision. I've said it a thousand times. I'm Ric Flair. I'm the world champion. You are a pumped up nothing happening. Overstuffed punk from the gym that doesn't know what it is. Don't wear alligator shoe. You understand? Huh? The work cut them in clothes. Don't ride limousines. They have the whole world at your feet because you're the best there is. So you don't ever make a mistake of walking out here and implying that you can be where I've been for five years. I'm the world champion, brother, and I'm addressing you as a punk whose mother and father didn't have the brains or the knowledge or the class in this life to even give you a name. Sting, what kind of a name? Well, Jim Ross, David Crockett, pandemonium has broken loose there. Look at the singer's got him up high over his head. Flair insulted the thing, let him have with everything in the book. And finally, Sting could not handle it any longer. And now he is trying to manhandle the heavyweight champion of the world, and he is doing it. And here come the horsemen at the summons of J.J. Dillon. The horsemen are out. We're talking about Anderson, Blanchard, Flair, and now Wyndham, Luger. They're all in there. And it is pandemonium. All six in the ring going at it. The three young lions of professional wrestling, Luger, Wyndham, and Sting against the four horsemen. Up here. He went with a chair. The chair taken away from him. The horseman held it bay. This is a very volatile situation. Wyndham, Luger, and Sting, and the four horsemen. The blood is boiling hot right here. We gotta go. Ric Flair. <laughs> Wrestling's ultimate champion. Lives by pride. Wins by pain. Sting. Come on! The hottest name in wrestling today, feared by mortal men, adored by fans.
two incredible forces collide for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. The Superstation presents Clash of the Champions, live and free of charge, 4 p.m. Eastern today. Within one week, Sting had received his demands. Ric Flair stood in the ring, waiting for the young upstart to make a move. The match wasn't exactly classic when compared to their latter efforts, but for an initial encounter, it went over rather well, you could say. It wasn't much of a surprise when the horseman invaded the ring and caused a DQ finish, but Sting had kept up. He matched Flair all the way, overcoming a lack of technical prowess with speed and youthful vigor, you could say. Though he didn't walk away with the championship, Sting had captured the hearts and souls of millions of fans nationwide. Flair knew the day would come when his experience would not be enough to match up with this young man. A plan had to be hatched in the back of his mind. Meanwhile, the tag team champions had begun a personal crusade to right the wrongs of one Lex Luger, former horseman and current threat to the structure. When the three were locked into a battle royal with, with one another, Anderson and Blanchard made a point of isolating and humiliating the package. As the two pounded away, a familiar face ran into the ring and cleared out all opposition. Ole Anderson had returned, and he'd taken a side against his former allies. Tully Blanchard had more than former partners on his mind, though, as he went after Barry Windham in a televised singles match that same night. A hard-fought contest had apparently ended in a time-limit draw after the bell rang some 20 minutes into the match. Before the Warriors could exit the ring, Lex Luger was right there to point out a technical error. Rotting the controversy from the NFL instant replay debates, Luger grabbed the ref and showed him what had really gone down. J.J. Dillon had, for whatever reason, rung the bell early. This was enough for the viewing public, and the match was resumed. Blanchard caught Barry off guard and made the pin almost instantly, or he would have if Luger hadn't jumped in the ring to cause a DQ. Within moments, the horsemen were right there, destroying the young Luger while Flair helped Wyndham to his feet. As Blanchard and Anderson held back Luger's arms, Flair looked into Wyndham's eyes and screamed, Join us! Wyndham chose against the horsemen and was joined by Dusty Rhodes in chasing off the three before they could do any more damage. After a few tense moments, Luger apologized to Wyndham and the two embraced. Ladies and gentlemen, the World Tag Team Champions, Iron Anderson, Tully Blanchard, with their manager, J.J. Dillon. David Crockett, when you go into a civil war, you don't go into a civil war looking over your shoulder. You don't go into it demented screaming, hollering, off the wall like Kevin Sullivan, you go in with a clear, cool, calm, collected head. Because any athlete, I don't care what sports you name, never competes 46 straight days at top-level competition. And the only way to come out of it with your health, with your life, and going in with the gold, the only way to come out with the gold is to use that same level-headed philosophy that we live 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. It starts in the morning, you hit the gym, you get it out of the way. 
Then it goes strategy in the afternoon. And when you get to work, you put your hands together. You come up with that winning formula. That's how you become a world champion. The Great American Bash to us is just another day for the four horsemen to shine. So whether it's Tampa, Dallas, Charlotte Coliseum, Baltimore, any major city across this country, we're going to be doing no different, no dominion ramblings. And if you want to know the guy I referred to looking over his shoulder, no man ever want to wrestle a match, Luger, looking over his shoulder. You can't attack. A frontal attack's the only thing's going to beat Ric Flair, and you looking for shadows coming out of dark alleys is going to be your downfall. Tell him, Tony. <laughs> you know, Double A said so well, but you get it right down to that point. You focal right down on the one point. You talk about Baltimore, July the 10th. You and I have to defend our part of the horseman gold against Nikita Koloff and Sting. You know, Sting likes to come out here beat on his chest. They all like to flex, and they all like to talk about how everybody else is going to help them. We don't need no help. We're the best team in professional wrestling throughout history. That's why we have these and why we can talk about it. So on the 10th, when you guys walk down that aisle, don't worry about Luger. Don't worry about Dr. Death. Don't worry about the Road Warriors. You two gentlemen, worry about yourselves. Prove to the wrestling world that you are something to be reckoned with. Because on July the 10th, Double A and myself, along with JJ, are going to carry the gold down the aisle and walk back out with it. The spring crept around, and Sting's threat hadn't gone away. Or you could say, as Flair really had really hoped it would have. Instead, the two had been meeting each other at house shows and untelevised events across the country in vicious battles for the world championship. Though he never taken a victory, Sting had more than proven himself, and it was little surprise when the two were scheduled to battle once again atop the very first Clash of the Champions card. Early in the lineup, Arn and Tully defended their belts against the resurrected tandem of Luger and Wyndham. As Luger doled out punishment to his former allies and Wyndham worked to overcome the losing streak he had befallen him recently, J.J. Dillon crept to the ring apron with a chair. He made eye contact with Arn and brought the steel object to head level while Anderson flung Luger towards the awaiting foreign object. Unfortunately, Arn wasn't the only one who had seen Dillon's invitation and Lex reversed the Irish whip. Arn hit the chair. Luger fell on top, and just like that, we had brand new tag team champions. Upset, Tully Blanchard stormed to ringside and proceeded to throw a tantrum. When he looked up, Blanchard saw Magnum T.A., who at this time had begun doing color commentary after his injury years ago. There he vented his sudden frustrations with what took place. As the crippled superstar stood his ground against the cocky former tag team champion, Blanchard took a look around and waffled his old rival, knocked him right on the floor. As Tully began to stomp a mud hole, you could say, Dusty Rhodes made a much-needed save, nearly frothing at the mouth and toting a baseball bat. Rhodes swung at anything that moved, and before he knew what had even happened, something had gone wrong. Not only was Tully Blanchard a mess on the floor, but so was NWA promoter Jim Crockett. The arena was stunned into silence as the main event drew near. As an added attraction, J.J. Dillon had been suspended above the ring for the main event in a little cage, and the horsemen were barred from ringside. Flair and Stink fought neck and neck throughout, right up to the 45-minute time limit mark. In the end, Hart and Michaels 
used for the first ever WWF Iron Man match, Sting had locked Flair into the Scorpion Deathlock with only seconds left. Flair managed to hold off the submission until after the bell sounded, signifying a time limit draw. Instead of returning the belt to Flair, the officials instead went to the judges.
referee Tommy Young has secured the decision of the judges. Referee Young, if you will. Judge Patty Mullen has scored the match for the Nature Boy, Rick Flair. Judge Gary Juster has scored the match for Sting. Judge Sandy Scott has declared the match a draw. The match is a draw, therefore, still NWA World Heavyweight Champion, the Nature Boy, Rick Flair. A three-man committee voted, one in favor of Flair, one in favor of Sting, and one calling the match a draw. So despite the presence of outside officials, we had a tie. Flair kept the championship while Sting was left to ponder how close he had been one more time. The next week, an executive meeting was scheduled to discuss a fitting punishment for Dusty Rhodes and his wild actions at the Clash. J.J. had somehow squirmed his way into the meetings, which didn't bode well for the American Dream. Once the meetings had concluded, it was obvious Dylan's influence was there, but J.J. hadn't completely had his way with the suits. Dusty was to be suspended for three months and stripped of the United States title. Only days later, the Midnight Rider made his first appearance for the NWA. The Rider was a portly slow man in a mask and a hat. Some stated that he had quite a passing resemblance to a once-suspended superstar. Until Dylan and the Horsepin could find undeniable proof of his identity, though, the rider was allowed to continue working. This storyline, so to speak, was used years later with Hulk Hogan and the Mr. America character. About a month after winning them, Luger and Wyndham found themselves defending their tag team titles against Arn and Tully yet again. Luger started the match, and after several quick tags, found himself on the receiving end of a lot of punishment. Time and again, Lex would crawl within inches of a hot tag, only to be drugged back to the horseman's corner, and then mauled even, even further. When he finally made the big tag, Wyndham jumped into the ring and cleared house, while Luger fell to the floor, a bloody mess. Wyndham, you could say, held his own as long as he could, but was soon looking for a tag. Without Luger on the apron, Barry took more punishment, really more than he was comfortable with, and became frustrated while Dylan taunted him from the floor. I told you he wouldn't be there, screamed the horseman manager, and Wyndham found himself believing in it. Once Luger finally crawled his way to the apron, Wyndham tagged him, picked him up, and power slammed him into the ring. The package tried getting to his feet, but Wyndham took him down for good with a deadly lariat. Arn and Tully made the cover and claimed their lost championships as Dylan talked Wyndham back to the locker room. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm here with a man that uh, has masterminded this tremendous situation. J.J., the wrestling world, really, basically, I know I am still in a state of shock of what has happened. 
Well, Jim Ross, if you really think about it, it wouldn't be such a shocking situation because Ric Flair himself, before 1987 ever ended, went on national television and said that his personal choice for a four horseman was none other than Barry Windham. And once the seed was planted, I took it from there, from there, and for the last three or four months, I've been talking on and off with Barry Windham. And three major points that I kept bringing up to Mr. Windham is, number one, I realized that Dusty Rhodes helped raise Barry Windham. He was like a son to him. But I told Barry Windham, you can spend your whole life with this feeling of indebtedness and gratitude, and if you never get over that, you can never break away and make a life for yourself. Number two, recent months, all we heard about was television contracts, uh, movie contracts, personal endorsements, big money. But they never mentioned Barry Windham's name, who should have been the person they were talking about. And all they talked about was Lex Luger and Hollywood Lights. And the third thing was, I knew that Lex Luger couldn't cut it because he ran with us. Great athlete as he is, his priorities are somewhere else. And I told Barry Windham, I don't know when it's going to be, I don't know where it's going to be, but at some point, when you really, really need him, he's not going to be there, and then I'm going to be the one to say, I told you so, and I think that was the decisive thing. And I'd like to go back now to Jacksonville for that world tag team title match, and I think you'll see, Jim Ross, just exactly what I was talking about. Barry Wyndham over there to, to check on his good friend Lex Luger, his partner. Partners in and out of the ring, Barry there protecting his partner, but Luger has sustained two DDTs and just been nailed there on the outside. you have just seen wrestling history and I'm sure that the sports analysts in the months and the years to come when they reflect back on this event this moment will be the most outstanding moment in any professional athletics this entire decade once again Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson have established their dominance in, in tag team competition possibly the greatest tag team ever of all times Ric Flair continues to dominate as the world's heavyweight champion possibly the greatest champion of all time and Barry Windham does no need at this point to prove himself but I know that he already has his sights on the vacant United States heavyweight title a title that he's never held certainly a, a prestigious title and he's looking at the big tournament coming up in Houston Texas and that's who I'd be putting my money on now there's only one shadow that looms over this entire scenario and that is the awesome shadow of the midnight rider and he must be dealt with and i know jim ross that you have a commercial break coming up here and i'd like to beg your indulgence and stand by with you because coming back i would like to address the presence of the midnight rider and we'd like to hear your opinion no doubt about it ladies and gentlemen we will address that situation right after this very brief time out 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. After the big match, there was a great deal of jubilation in the Four Horsemen locker room, no doubt. But a big man dressed in all black called the Midnight Rider certainly made his presence known. I know you're not going to forget that scene. Well, the Midnight Rider is certainly a force that has to be dealt with. Not only did the Four Horsemen feel that way, but certainly Kevin Sullivan, Jim Cornette, and Gary Hart were all in total agreement that something has to be done to stop him. You see, I know who the Midnight Rider is, and more importantly, Barry Windham knows who the Midnight Rider is. And if you would, a little food for thought, who knows the more innermost, darkest secrets of a father than his son? And Barry Windham told me himself, even though he doesn't wear a belt right now, the matter at hand is simply to take the mask off the Midnight Rider, and he told me that he feels that he would be the man to do that. Now, with all the jubilation in Jacksonville, I would like to go back to that scene because, once again, as you've already alluded, the Midnight Rider could not keep his nose out where it belonged. But when all the dust settled, Barry Wyndham did end up with a rather unique trophy. say man it is total shock not only here in Jacksonville but I'm sure nationwide as we have witnessed the last thing in the world we expected what in the world happened to Barry Window Luger was trying to get back in the ring he did everything he could and the midnight rider I don't know where he's going but he looks like he means business the key to cut off Dr. Death and Sting or helping Luger out of the ring well, it, it appears, that, and I understand we are going to try to follow the Midnight Rider. The horseman, not the four horsemen, Ric Flair. What are you going to do about the four horsemen? Oh, yes, we are. You know who we are. We're the four best there is. But we are taking into consideration one Barry Windham. And Barry Windham, pal, you know what it's like to walk on the wrong side of the tracks. Nice guys finish last. So, pal, if J.J. brings it to you, I'm talking about the contract. Be ready because the once in a lifetime opportunity. Well, there we hear it. Little did we know what profoundness that was. You, I've always admired your ability to surround yourself by outstanding talent in and out of the ring. And you have spotted the greatness in Barry Wyndham at that time, no doubt. Jim Ross is the classic example of the best meeting the best. We as horsemen knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that the greatest wrestler with the greatest raw skill and pure ability in our sport was Barry Windham. And brother, he sat over there being denied the stardom and the stature that this business should have brought him long ago. So JJ put the needle in. We made it known worldwide. We wanted him on our team. And what Barry Windham has done has made a career decision that'll take him anywhere in this sport that he wants to go. He is now a member of the most select and elite force of wrestlers in the world today. He's right here. He's one of the horsemen. He left Luger, he left Dusty Rhodes, he left the Road Warriors, he left Sting, and he came over the bridge to the big side of town. He now rides in limousines. He flies in a little jet a mile long. He has any woman. Yes, he had any woman he wanted before, but now it's like this.
and he has the distinct pleasure of saying that his best friends in the world are the world tag team champions Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard and the world's heavyweight wrestling champion Ric Flair. Barry Windham, and keep in mind, we like everybody in this force to have all the trophies available in this sport. There's one trophy missing to make this collection complete. It's the U.S. title. And Barry Windham, for all that raw power, for all that great ability, pal, you now will become one of the dirtiest players in the game. And anybody out there that doesn't think we mean business, you take a look at us from this point on, because we got a point to make. It's a very emotional time and a very difficult time for this man right here, the total package, Lex Luger. We know you have not seen the tape of what happened losing the World Tag Team Belts. Why don't you take a look at it right now and tell us in your own words, as we show everybody the tape, what you were thinking as this was going on, Lex. Well, Tony Savannah, I had been able to watch my monitor back here, and it's very difficult to watch. Me and Barry said we were going to be the fighting champions of the world. Here we are three weeks later doing just what we said we were going to do. That is fighting the uh, former champions right here on national TV. Now, at the time, when I made the tag, I'm telling you, I admit they had me in a very bad way. I kept on fighting. If you ever had me, I felt like I could get the Barry, who was the fresh man, a real chance to win this match and retain our titles. On the tag, as we all saw, I, uh, from seeing it back now, I got a knee in the back. I took a hard bump to the floor. Tony Blanchard ended up rolling out, getting a hard boot to the gut, and he busted me up on the post, and that's when things got very fuzzy for me personally because uh, I went unconscious there for a while. And uh, the next thing I saw was that I could see the guard where I knew Barry, I knew the match was still going on, I could hear the crowd. I was very easy. I made my way over the guard rail, hoping that I could use the guard rail to be able to get back to, to, back to our corner and help out some way if I could. Now, at this point here, I made my way on the guard rail. I've been oscillated pretty badly. And uh, the ball was down my eyes. I had trouble seeing. But I saw, I, I knew I had to get back up to my corner. And uh, right here, as you see, I'm trying to crawl back up. At this point here, I didn't know this was Barry Windham. Tony. I never saw him here. I knew somebody put me up here and told me in the ring. I was half I was half out of it at this point. But as I rolled over, I didn't know what was going on. I thought the match was over because I saw Barry Windham's boots, his wrestling boots. I thought the match was over here. I didn't know what was going on. I tried to pull myself up to stand up with Barry. And as you can see right here, like, this is where I put my legs up for good. Welcome right there. Did you know it was Barry that hit you right there after you stood up? It's hard to comprehend at the time, you know, I saw Barry coming at me, but it just was, I couldn't believe it was Barry Windham, but, you know, it's really free, but right here on videotape, and, uh, you gotta say, uh, there's no doubt about it, it was Barry Windham, and, uh, it's just incomprehensible, Tony, it really is. There it is, out cold, no doubt about it, and Barry Windham walks up. You know, it's been a, a mostly roller coaster for me, it's been almost two weeks since this thing happened. Tony, but I'll say one thing. I've come to grips with it. You watch the tape. There's no defeating it. Barry Windham is the four horsemen. But Barry Windham, you look into my eyes. You think you're amongst friends. But you have just chosen the loneliest path you have ever set on in your life. Because Lex Luger, if it's the last thing I do, 
on this planet Earth. I'll make sure it's along this road you have ever traveled. The unit is intact here, ladies and gentlemen. But, Barry, I want to say that you were the last man I, I ever thought would become the newest horseman. Not because of your athletic ability, but because you, of your let velocity. Let me tell you Lex Luger, you seem to think that I'm going to be walking a lonely path. Well, let me tell you something, pal. I chose where I am because I want to be here. And look at the company that I'm going to keep. I've got the Nature Boy, Arn Anderson, Tully Butcher, and the best, the foremost manager in professional wrestling today. I'm running with the most elite group of gentlemen that there are. And I am going to be the best that there is in professional wrestling I've ever all myself. Step on in here, Nate, and let them know. The symbol of excellence, and that's all I got to say. The bottom line is, you're looking at the best this sport has ever had to offer. Our total package. Not a week later, though, Wyndham had already discovered the fringe benefits of his new association. An instant seed in the tournament to fill the still vacant U.S. championship. Things weren't picture perfect though as he met the masked rider in the first round. But there was something strange in the ring on this night. Wyndham completely destroyed the rider from start to finish and added insult to injury by removing the mask. Instead of revealing Dusty Rhodes though, there sat a jobber who was of course not the American dream. Rhodes had skipped out this time and had drawn the horseman out. It mattered not to Wyndham, who found himself in the tournament finals after Lex Luger's match went to a double DQ. Tully Blanchard's effort, efforts really fell short in the semifinals against Nikita Koloff. But Blanchard did more than his share after the match. A prolonged beating left Koloff's ribs ripe for the finals, a weakness which Wyndham exploited to its fullest on his way to an easy victory and a U.S. championship reign. Once again, the horsemen were on top of the game. They filled their ranks in the wake of a defector and now held the U.S. World and Tag Team Championships. With the U.S. title around his waist, Wyndham needed a direction and J.J. Dillon, mastermind that he is, found him one. Lex Luger had been making a nuisance of himself in the past months and seemed ready and willing to make his move for Ric Flair's world title. Luger and Wyndham had more than enough issues on their own, and Flair would appreciate the extra breathing room, really. So Wyndham took the bait and began assaulting Luger whenever the opportunity presented itself. Backstage, outside the ring, or at the announced position, nowhere was safe and Wyndham always had backup. One evening, the returning Dusty Rhodes had seen enough and gave Wyndham a taste of his own medicine while Koloff, the Garvins, and Sting stood guard outside the ring. Once the Great American Bash had crept around, Wyndham wanted more of Rhodes than he did Luger. With the cards shuffled, Luger had been granted his world title shot at really an annoyed Ric Flair while Wyndham occupied himself with Dusty Rhodes in a U.S. title match. Elsewhere, the tag team champions defended against the combined might of Sting and Nikita Koloff. Anderson and Blanchard had more than a mouthful in their defense, and for the first time, J.J. Dillon was a non-factor in the end result. While the four went at it in the ring, none of Dillon's attempts seemed to be distracting Sting and Koloff. The match was a very physical and fair fight. For what has seemed like the first time in the horseman's history, Truly an even matchup. 
Sting finally locked on the Scorpion Deathlock in the middle of the ring on Blanchard, and when Anderson tried to get in to break it up, Koloff cut him off. Blanchard screamed in his submission out, but before the ref could call for the bell, it already sounded. Arn and Tully walked away with their belts. The result? A time limit draw. In the US title matchup, Dusty wasted no time in showing us all why Wyndham had been labeled the underdog on this night. After a lengthy advantage, Wyndham turned the tide to slap on his big claw finisher, with Rhodes managing to fight out of it. Barry whipped the challenger to the corner and then took him up in hopes of delivering a superplex. The champ seemed to forget that old Dusty's got a few pounds on him and the extra weight was enough to reverse the maneuver. On his way back down, Barry nailed the ref and Rhodes dropped his trademark bionic elbow for what should have been the win. From the back came Ronnie Garvin, who Rhodes figured was out to wake up the referee. Instead, Garvin drugged the dream to his feet, leveled him with his hands of stone. The ref came in time to catch Wyndham, delivering the claw on an unconscious Rhodes and called for the bell. Ronnie had been bought by J.J. Dillon. The main event was as strong as an event as could be expected. The Nature Boy could carry anybody to a match of the year candidate. Luger even threw out an effort trying a few new moves along the way, keeping the Nature Boy on his toes. Where he couldn't hope to match Lex in terms of sheer mass and physical strength, Flair instead counted on his psychology and intelligence to carry the load. He took every opportunity to wear down the leg, often tricking Luger into attempting a knee drop or something along those lines, which would further his work without as much effort. Twenty minutes in, Flair locked on the figure four, but Luger managed to fight it off. In action outside of the ring, Dylan sent Lex head first into the ring post, drawing blood. Back in the ring, Luger caught Flair off guard with a power slam, which was followed by the torture rack. Amidst medlam in the crowd, the bell rang and confusion reigned inside the squared circle. Luger grabbed the bell, but it was immediately taken back and placed around Flair's waist. The Maryland Athletic Commission, in a rule that's still in force today, you could say, had called the match as a result of blood loss. Fans, we got more for you. Right now, though, we must go to uh, Magnum TA, I understand. Let's go there now. Standing here with the man, Ric Flair, who just retained the world's heavyweight title. Despite all odds, despite what all the skeptics said, maybe Ric Flair was pushed to the ultimate limit, but he is still the world's heavyweight champion. Well, I've come to live by one motto, and that is survival. This is the greatest, toughest sport in the world. This is the National Wrestling Alliance, the Big Daddy. There's nothing like it. And tonight, for three hours, People around the world saw the best competition in a man's sport, the National Wrestling Alliance. And Ric Flair, once again, call it luck, call it the grace of God, throw off the scab off the end of my chin, whatever you want to call it, I'm standing here. I never claimed to play this game by the rules. I played Ric Flair's way, and that's throwing at all costs. And here I am, and I'll tell you, and the Crockett's, and Ted Turner, and anybody else that doesn't like it, to get this, you gotta beat this. Bottom line. So Ladies Luger, and gentlemen, it is now time for the bunkhouse stampede. This message goes 
especially to you and those millions of adoring fans that look at you, that look at you as being their idol figure, their role model, whatever they live and breathe every day. That's what you represent, Luger. But the bottom line is, right now, you will never wrestle Ric Flair again for the World's Heavyweight Wrestling Championship. It's gonna cost James Dillon a lot of money, but we're the world champion. Money's no problem. Warriors, Ted Turner, Crockett, it makes no difference. Luger, you had your last shot tonight. That was it, pal. How do you like that, huh? You like being told by me, you're done. That's it, last shot. You, my friend, are history in the eyes of the champ. Woo! <laughs> You're a history, Luger! Woo! There you heard it from the world's heavyweight champion. Now let's go back. So Luger walked Shavai. away without the title. All right, Magnum, thank you very much. what's become known as a dusty finish, you could say. And the horseman moved on to other challenges. Nothing much was really said about Luger's unsuccessful bid for the title afterwards, and it would be another while before he could really complete his climb to the championship. Flair went on through the rest of the summer into short feuds with most of the NWA's top guys, Sting, Koloff, Steve Williams. They all made a run, but Flair stood strong as champion. Some nights would end with a hazy horseman run-in and DQ, some would see Rick walk away a clean winner. While the Nature Boy was having a relatively easy time, his partners in crime weren't getting off quite as easily. All three had been on something of a, you could say, somewhat of a slump, dropping more matches than they picked up, but their respective belts remained snug around their waists. Though the records may not hold up, many believe this collection to be the finest set of horsemen throughout history. Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, Barry Windham, and J.J. Dillon. My good man in the NW. All right, let's take a look at it. Let's take a look at the real world. A big time business. That's the man. Woo! There's none of this. It's just this. <laughs> when you're the best, and we all know who the best is, you don't have to walk out here half naked. Just stand here looking like what you are, a major executive in the biggest organization in professional sports, Jim Crockett promotion. And the 23rd of this month, the Crockett Cup, the 22nd and the 23rd. The best wrestlers in our sport, believe me, are gonna be competing for one million dollars. That's my kind of prize money. That is Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Cup money, the biggest money in our sport. And by now, we have for sure established the supremacy of the National Wrestling Alliance. Now, Dusty Rhodes, on a very personal note, Big Dust, I've told James J. Dillon, I've told my attorneys, I've told Jim Crockett himself.
You're fooling nobody, pal. And believe me, I want you out of here worse than anybody, because with you gone, I'll be number one. How about that, Tony Schiavone? You'll be just done to me. I'll be number one. Dusty Rhodes, you will be exposed. We know what you're doing, and you'll be gone. Nikita Koloff, Steve Williams, the challenger, Sting, Luger, Barry Windham, you guys are, you guys are, in my estimation, the best in this sport. But to walk down out and get in the ring, woo, with the best wrestler in the world. And to think that there is any chance of victory for yourself is ludicrous. It's ridiculous. I will be your world champion. I will be the franchise until I decide to jump out of these custom-made clothes, until I decide to quit styling and profiling, until I decide to push all the women aside. And God only knows, I've got a thousand years left in me. I'm the best there is, the National Wrestling Alliance. They passed the and test of And when the matches mattered and the titles were up for grabs, the horsemen always walked away the winners. You are going to have the distinct privilege of being involved in the most violent sport in the world. It's the American Bash and it's the War Games. The Devil Cage over two rings. Five guys on each team. It's blood, it's guts, it's violence at an all-time high. And you know what it is? It's to the victor goes everything you want in this world. How about it, Big Bear? When I used to be over on the other side watching what was going on over here, I used to get butterflies. I used to talk to the Road Warriors and Sting and Luger, and they always used to say, golly, guys, what are we going to do tonight? Uh, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, when I'm on this side looking over there at y'all, I don't have butterflies because we all know for sure exactly what's going to happen. Horseman style, it's going to be done in this cage, and I guarantee you there's going to be some people hurting and crying and bleeding over there. Isn't that right, Double A? Come on up here. Come on. Spread out. There is never a question of what we're going to do. When you're over there wondering what you are going to do, yeah. we're walking around uh. laughing, giggling, finding out what our company's going to be from the evening. Because when you are what they say you are, the dirtiest players in the game, what we do uh. is come natural inside a cage. The success of this magnificent foursome wasn't going unnoticed, however. It was only a matter of time before jealousy changed someone the team considered an ally. In this case, the U.S. Tag Team Champion Midnight Express, managed by Jim Cornette and his tennis racket, Bobby Eaton and Sweet Stan Lane, had considered the Horseman Brothers in arms since their shared feud and disputes against the Rock and Roll Express. Recently, Cornette had been experiencing problems with J.J. Dillon, both considered their boys to be the superior team of the Alliance and it wasn't long before the workers took notice of their constant bickering. Before the argument could escalate to much more, Dylan decided to take advantage of the opportunity. The mutual respect presented before the chance vanished altogether. All right, fans, you have seen the tape now. You know what has happened, and they are not denying what they have done. 
Arn Anderson, there was a point in time where Bobby Eaton was your best friend. He would have given you the shirt off his back. So what'd you do? You got you and your little geek face friends together and you jumped him in a dress room and you ripped the shirt off his back. Well, let me tell you something. Before us, when they go all around bragging about jumping Dusty Rhodes in the parking lot, jumping Lex Luger in the parking lot, all the people that you have jumped on. Well, let me tell you something, brother. This time you jumped on somebody's gonna jump back. We jumped on Dusty Rhodes, too, and the Road Wars, and the Rock and Roll Express, and the Fantastics. And I'll tell you what, Four Horsemen, we left them in a whole lot, hell of a lot worse shape than you left Bobby Eaton, brother. So you ain't got nothing on us. I guarantee you this, and you remember this, J.J. Dillon. This time, you jump first. Next time, we're going to jump first, brother. You know something, Jim Ross, with the Horsemen have proved by beating up Bobby a little bit in the dressing room? They've told us they're scared of us. They've proved, I guess, you know, the whole time these guys cruise around in their limousines and sip champagne and party with their ladies of the evening, the whole time they've been doing this, well, they've been shaking in their underpanties. You guys don't want to face us two on two, do you? So you try to eliminate one, but it didn't work because punching and kicking Bobby around will not put him out. The next time we get in that ring, fellas, we're going to leave with your straps and leave the horsemen looking like horses you know what. You know, I've been getting my butt kicked in the wrestling business since I was 16 years old. And I've lost a few wrestling matches, but I've never lost one fight to one man in or out of the ring. But that night, there were three of you guys, Tully Blanchard, J.J. Dillon, and you, Arn Anderson. But next time you meet with us, it's going to be all three of us, and you're going to wish you looked this good when we get through with you. Yeah! yeah! All right, ladies and gentlemen. This situation is boiling, and we'll be back with more action here on the Superstation after this time. Backstage at an NWA show, Tully and Arn jump the express at JJ's bidding, leading to their inevitable clash with the belts on the line. After a rough and tumble meeting, the express walked away with their heads held high and the tag team titles around their waist. The very next night, Arn and Tully heaped the blame on Dylan, and two and a half years of pent-up frustration finally came to a head. The former champs had actually come to consider the Midnight Express as close personal friends, and to treat them as they had didn't feel right. As Dylan tried to explain, Tully said they'd had enough. Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard walked out of the ring, out of the horsemen, and into the arms of the World Wrestling Federation. Suddenly, Ric Flair was the sole remaining original horseman. As his usual cordial self, Jim Cornette was not about to let such a moral victory go without squeezing every possible drop of humiliation out of the situation. The first opportunity he was given after Arn and Tully's departure, he grabbed the mic and announced his Midnight Express as the man who chased half the horsemen out of this territory. Just as before, Dylan found himself outspoken, outmaneuvered, and outclassed by the fast-lift cornet. This served to further enrage the remaining horsemen. Seeing as how there's only one way to settle things in the fine business of ours, the four took it to the ring in a brawl to end all brawls. Flair and Wyndham met the Midnight Express in a tag-teaming event at the fourth Clash of the Champions event. This is where Flair and Wyndham worked as a combination of singles workers. The Express had the edge as a team and often used this to their advantage. 
with experienced double-team maneuvers to boot. Despite their disadvantage, there was no doubt the horsemen had the edge when the action was limited to one-on-one, and such was their game plan. Both isolated Bobby Eaton, working him over piece by piece and effectively taking him apart. When the hot tag was made, the winded singles workers were overwhelmed by the fresh man. The Express hit their finisher and Ian went for the pin. Watching his teammates fall, Dylan immediately hopped up on the apron, but Cornette was right there to pull him back down again. Dylan's shoe made it into the ring regardless, and armed with his new advantage, the horseman snuck home with a victory and a quick blow-off. Despite the loss of half their roster, Flair and Wyndham were determined to keep the dynasty alive. Standing in their way was an old enemy, ready to deal the final blow and not without his own backup. Dusty Rhodes brought Bam Bam Bigelow to the main event scene in the fall of 1988, and the two soundly defeated the remaining horsemen in a series of tag matches throughout that season. In Rhodes, the horsemen knew what to expect and how to conquer or counter his offense. But Bigelow was the unknowing or undetermined variable. Flair just could not find an effective counter to his rough and tumble style. There were rumblings that the Beast from the East would be jumping right into the world title scene, but the tattooed monster had not made any such choice just yet. World champion right here, the nature boy, nature boy Rick Flair.
like it, champ, huh? Nobody. Let me tell you what, I'll make this very short. Steve, I'll make you short order just like I did the guy there. And Dusty Rhodes, you keep showing any interest in this championship. It's wasted time because it's my belt and you're not wrestling me ever again. All right. In closing, let me say it one more time. Bigelow, women hate being called fat. And Bigelow, right here in front of the whole world, Slick Rick is calling you fat soul. <laughs> and we'll be back. We'll have more action. After a televised title defense of his own, Barry Windham decided to dish out a little extra punishment which was enough to bring Bigelow to the ring for the save. Bam Bam manhandled the U.S. champion with a press slam and diving headbutt from the top rope, solidifying the notion that his bid for Wyndham's title took precedence over Flair's world gold, at least for now. With Starcade 88 peaking right around the corner, Flair had kept himself busy with title defenses against Rhodes, Eddie Gilbert, and more recently, a rejuvenated Lex Luger. The champ was worked to the bone, and though Wyndham had relieved him of Bigelow's challenge for now, Luger was becoming more and more of a nuisance as the months carried on. With rumors growing concerning the Horseman's destruction, Starcade 88 would prove to be the judge, jury, and executioner for the group's immediate future. A duo of strong defenses against Bigelow and Luger at the event would silence critics nationwide, but dropping one or both belts would just amplify the personal assaults. It was do or die time as the month of December finally crept in. With Bigelow, the odds on favorite, Wyndham did his best to make a name for himself. Once again on this night, but not without certain precautions. Every time the beast started to take a solid advantage, Wyndham would find a way to skid to the floor. After a couple of these momentum stoppers, Bigelow grew tired of the games and followed him to the cement. This was just what Wyndham was waiting for, and he took to the much larger challenger by surprise. The minute Bigelow was on the floor with him, Wyndham cut loose with wild punches, clotheslines, and other power moves, effectively fighting fire back with fire. Back in the ring, though, Wyndham continued his assault with suplexes and power slams while the stunned Bam Bam tried to fight an effective counter. As the tide of the match turned, Bigelow found what he needed with a swift flurry of acrobatic maneuvers. But Wyndham fled to the floor again. When Bigelow climbed one more time, Wyndham used the same tactics again, this time pounding his opponent to the floor, rolling back in just in time to avoid the countout that awarded him a victory over the heavily favored Bam Bam. Nearly two years after his first taste of fame, Wyndham had effectively turned a lot of heads and raised his stock once more. And he'd done it with a sound strategy. While Wyndham walked to the showers a proud man, Flair came to the ring worried. Luger had convinced the board of directors to add a special stipulation to this match. After Flair had kept his belt so many times in the past as a result of a disqualification, tonight, if Flair was DQ, Luger would take the belt due to forfeit. As the two fell into the roles they'd filled so often in past months, Luger took an early advantage with his power moves. He claimed several near falls early in the encounter as J.J. held himself back from causing a DQ that would cost his man the title, Flair slowly began work on the challenger's legs. Attempting an early figure four, Flair was surprised by a Luger reversal that put the pressure right back on his own legs. 
Flair went outside to the ring while Dylan had a chat with the official. He put a steel chair to good use across Luger's legs. As Luger gripped his knee in agony, Flair enjoyed the moment. After an adequate amount of taunting was admonished, you can say, the Nature Boy settled into the figure four. Fighting off waves of pain, Luger eventually escaped the hold and caught Flair by surprise with a power slam. While Rick lay dazed on the mat, Lex showed us all it was time for the torture rack. He picked up the champ and stretched him across his shoulders for the big finish. But all that work Rick had done to his knees was not for nothing. Before Flair could submit, Luger's knee gave out and he fell. Flair landed on top and before either man knew what was happening, the ref had counted the fall. I'll tell you something, if anybody ever wondered about the guts and the intestinal fortitude of this kid, torture rack. His leg, his leg buckled out from under him. His leg is buckled. Flair uses the ropes and Flair pins it. Luger's leg buckled underneath him as he had Flair in the human torture rack. And Flair then, the wise veteran, the five-time champion of the world, used the ropes for leverage and uh, secured the pinfall on the total package. What an effort and what guts by the total package next to What a disappointing ending for Luger. When he had the champion up in the air in the torture rack was that leg that had really taken Ladies the Ladies and gentlemen, it just folded right under. the winner of the match and still world heavyweight champion, Nature Boy, Rick Flair. Flair had squeaked out another victory, and the horsemen had proven the critics wrong with their most successful starcade to date. Despite their diminished numbers, the horsemen had remained a force to be reckoned with. In the following weeks, the challengers were being mowed down one by one. Not long after his arrival in the promotion, Bam Bam Bigelow had left to pursue other interests. With Dusty Rhodes also on his way out, would the story end here? Not a chance, as 1989 turned out to be one of the best years in NWA history. With two horsemen down, going to the World Wrestling Federation, what would the future hold for the most illustrious group in professional wrestling? Find out on the next edition of the Horseman Chronicles. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. All right, old schoolers, it's time to thank the sponsors of Beyond the Bell. Without their support, BTB would not be possible. The SNS Radio Network. What can you say? The network that covers all things related to professional wrestling, mixed martial arts, and video gaming. Now, you can even throw conspiracy theories in the mix. Headlined by the new Unplugged with Jeff Jackson and Tony J. Mirabella, you can catch brand new audio content daily, as well as catch up to speed with the latest news and notes in all three genres. Who just got fired by TNA? Find out the latest news on WWE 2K14. Go straight to SNSRadioNetwork.com. From live shows to podcasts, they carry it all. So go to www.sns.com. 
RadioNetwork.com now. If you're not listening, you're not trying. The National Wrestling Alliance. Catch the NWA worldwide through multiple affiliates. Find out which affiliates are a part of your local area at nwawrestling.org. The NWA. Tried, tested, revered. It is tradition. One of the affiliates that I'm personally associated with on a continual basis is NWA Dog. Dangerous Adrenaline Wrestling Gladiators. Yes, a mouthful, but Dog has it all. Most recently, Dog held the tournament to hold and declare a brand new NWA World Champion post Colt Cabana era. You can catch NWA Dog on Facebook for all the latest news and event information on upcoming programming. Combat Zone Wrestling, of course, is on DVD and streaming directly on your computer, smartphone, any device you may hold. You can catch CZW anywhere. From DVDs to streaming, go to czwrestling.com now and get ultra-violent with Combat Zone Wrestling. The official news source of the SNS Radio Network is WrestlingOnline.com. Wrestling-Online.com is the place to get all the latest news and notes in the world of professional wrestling. Check out RingAnnouncing.com, the home of professional wrestling ring announcer. Yours truly, Sean Beckerman. Videos, audio, you name it, we have it. Connect directly to our YouTube page where we have old school retro video mixed in with the latest videos of ring announcer, yours truly, Sean Beckerman, on the independent circuit. So go to ringannouncing.com now and follow the future of ring announcing. Oh yeah, and of course, Barbershop Window, the place that's making wrestling t-shirts cool again to wear. Their brand new redesigned site carries the latest and archived designs from the vault. Re-released once again, the Million Dollar Man Tuxedo Tee. If you're a wrestling fan, you've got to have that one. Or, why don't you wear the one that says, I broke Wahoo's leg? Go even more old school with that one. Either way, you're definitely going to ramp up your wardrobe with barbershop window designs, t-shirts, hoodies, they carry it all. Follow them at bshopwindow on Twitter and go to barbershopwindow.com right now. And come on, make that wrestling wardrobe cool again. Personally, I wear my I'm Gonna Finkle This tee and the Heenan School of Broadcasting as I proudly wear it pre and post shows on the independent scene. Barbershopwindow.com, the place to get all those retro and modern designs. Remember fans, you can catch brand new episodes of Beyond the Bell each and every week on SNS RadioNetwork.com and RingAnnouncing.com. For all you smartphone users, you can download the TuneIn and Stitcher radio apps and have each and every show directly downloaded on your mobile device. Or you can go the original route, the more basic way, follow the RSS feed through RingAnnouncing.com as well as on iTunes. Just like the SNS Radio Network, if you're not listening, you're not trying. Connect socially to Beyond the Bell via Facebook, Twitter, Tout, 
and YouTube. Want to become a sponsor of Beyond the Bell? Send an email to btbwrestling at gmail.com or beckerman at ringannouncing.com and put under the headline advertising. Come aboard the Beyond the Bell revolution. We're going retro. Come aboard and ride the Beyond the Bell wave. And of course, thank you fans for all your support. It's go time. It's time to take it home with some old school music. The Midnight Express battled the Horsemen in 1988 and will take it home with their theme from the NWA, one of the hit songs of the promotion during this time. So until next week, fans, when we rewind and relive all things retro and wrestling, I'm your personal ring announcer, Sean Beckerman, signing off, and I'll see you at the matches. Thank you.